Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Everything Co-op this new year. And uh, we have Miss Courtney Burner on the line with her. She is the Executive Director of the Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives. Good morning, Courtney, and Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. How are you doing this day? I am doing great. It's actually a pretty balmy winter day in uh, in Madison, so I actually got to bike in to work this morning. So not something I do very often in January, but <laughs> so feeling good. So you, when you say balmy, that means you have no snow and the weather's fairly decent in Madison. Balmy is actually um, this time of year. Uh, it's It was 32 degrees when I biked in. So. <laughs> but yesterday, I think it topped out at uh, something like 15. So it felt pretty good. Wow. Okay. I'll leave that it's to you. It's all relative. That, that's the weather's <laughs> good for you up in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> Got it. So you are the executive director of the Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives. I sure so am. What is the Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives? Um, so the University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives is um, a Madison-based center. Um, we serve the entire state of Wisconsin and have actually programs sort of beyond Wisconsin. But we do, um, we were founded in 1962, and we do research, outreach, and education on the cooperative business model. And then we also have a, a co-op development program where we start people, uh, help people start new cooperatives um, and help businesses convert to the cooperative model. So we have sort of a wide range of activities. We serve all types of co-ops, so worker co-ops, consumer co-ops, farmer co-ops, um, in every sector. So we have a pretty broad um, broad reach and try to really focus on um, the issues and the topics that um, tie co-ops together, that, that co-ops really share across those sectors. So, Courtney, how did you get into this work? So, um, you know, I'm not originally from Wisconsin. I'm, I'm originally from the Pacific Nor Northwest. Uh, I grew, grew up in Oregon, um, went to college in Washington. Um, but before moving to Madison, um, a little over 10 years ago, I was actually living in Washington, D.C. Um, and working at a globally focused environmental research organization. And I was you know, deep in this place of thinking about big, intractable problems like overconsumption and climate change and biodiversity loss, and um, which quite honestly uh, got pretty depressing after four years. Mm. Um, and during my time um, at that research institution, sort of my lifelong interest in cooking and eating delicious food evolved into a, a deeper interest in agriculture and, and food systems. So I started thinking about my next steps career-wise, and I think I was craving a way to still engage in work that focused on sort of making things better for people on the planet, but in a more applied way. Um, so fast forward a couple of years, I ended up uh, actually at UW-Madison studying agroecology, uh, which is basically a discipline focused on applying ecological concepts to the agricultural landscape. And um, I was interested in agricultural production, but also in local and regional food systems, sort of why they had eroded over the decades um, and what it might look like to rebuild them. So I started um, my, my coursework here in 2009. 
And I somewhat randomly enrolled in a course on cooperatives my first semester of grad school. Randomly, it was, under, it was randomly. randomly. I don't even quite know. I just saw it. It was inter- looked interesting. It was actually at eight in the morning at the top of Bascom Hill, so it was oh not the most convenient um, place to get to. Um, but you chose a class at eight o'clock in the morning. I did. I was a crazy, you know, like thirty-year-old grad student. So yeah, I was. Um, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but I took the class. Um, and, you know, when I lived in D.C., I was a member of the Tacoma Park Silver Spring Co-op. Um, I lived in a big group house that we referred to as a co-op, but it really wasn't until taking that course um, that I developed sort of a true understanding of the model and what made cooperatives different from other businesses or sort of membership organizations. So, uh, you know, I ended up really, after that class, really focusing my studies and my thinking um, about what, you know, my next steps might be on cooperatives and how the cooperative model could be used in the context of rebuilding regional and local food systems. Um, So I did my master's project on a a cooperative called Fifth Season Cooperative, which is a multi-stakeholder cooperative in southwestern Wisconsin that was really, it still exists, but it was striving to connect um, local institutions like hospitals and schools and universities with local farmers um, and their product. And so um, it was, I basically did a co-op development project for my master's project, mm-hmm. which was convenient. And uh, my plan was to always move back to the West Coast after grad school. I was thinking of Madison as, and, and the Midwest as sort of a stopping point from, from D.C. back to Oregon. But I was offered a job at the at the center here as a co-op development specialist. And I initially turned it down. Then I would say that I then I said that I would do it for a year, which in retrospect is a really crazy thing to tell a prospective employer. But I did. And that was in 2011. And I'm, so I'm still here. So you told your future boss, well, I'll be here for one year. I take this job yeah. for a year. I know. I mean, what a like arrogant thing to say, too. I mean, it took me a year to like even figure out what I was doing in the new job. So, yeah, you know, I fell in love with the work and um, and really fell in love with with the upper Midwest and Madison. And um, yeah, it's yeah, that was in 2011. Who, who was the center director when you got the job in 20? When I started as a co-op development specialist. Um, so Brent Hewis um, was our faculty director and Ann Reynolds. Um, was our executive director, and, and she was really um, an incredible mentor to me, um, and still is. I still see her quite. We live in the same neighborhood, so I see her a lot. But um, well, wait, wait, yeah, they were gotta, meeting with her. Got to believe that Ann Reynolds, particularly if you told her I'll be here for a year, she probably chuckled. She probably did. <laughs> she probably She's quite wise. Yeah, <laughs> Okay, we'll see. We'll know that you're going to get bit by this bug. You've already gotten bit. You took a class at 8 o'clock in the morning. And somehow I have to believe that you impressed her by saying, I love this. I want to see more. I like to eat. I like to cook. I'm looking at how food is made and how you get. And you look at your your thesis for your master's and you look at, okay, how am I going to get food from the farm to the table through hospitals and schools? So she had to be impressed. Them. I've I've known Anne. She's been on the program several times, and have tremendous respect for her and her wisdom. She's quite yep. quite wise lady. Yeah, okay. I, I share those sentiments. Yeah, we're really lucky to have her here in Wisconsin. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a um, a graduate of the school of Anne Reynolds. I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So grew up in Oregon. Went to college at Washington State. Yep. Then you got a job at Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And then you decide to go to college at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Yep. Okay. We got it. All right. And you're biking to work today in 32 degrees weather. All right. All right. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Reynolds was was notorious for showing up to work meetings like in a blizzard on her bike. So she's she beats me there too. She's <laughs> okay. Well, I I have thought about getting my bike out, but mm-hmm. okay. And our weather isn't nearly as bad as the weather in Wisconsin. I know my in laws are in D.C., so I, I get back there quite quite often. So okay, so you've got this job and. Uh, you started with development. So what was that like for you to start off at the University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperative Development, developing co-ops? What was that like? Um, I think, to be really frank, it was a steep learning curve. I mean, I'd, I'd worked um, on this one cooperative, the fifth season cooperative, as part of my master's project. And um, I found that to be one of the hardest things. I, I, I actually wrote their business plan and um that project really sort of pitted my idealism about what could be in the world with um, sort of the the cold, hard reality of um, the economics of farming and um, our food system. And so I think that was a really valuable lesson um, for me in co-op development. And when you're, when you're supporting a group, because, you know, you yourself as a co-op developer are rarely actually developing the co-op, at least and that's not how how we do most of our work here. It's more responding to groups that are interested in starting co-ops. And so how do you guide groups in a way that um, sort of keeps their feet on the ground, but still their eyes on the horizon and um, not be a dream killer? (laughs) Because a lot of people come to cooperatives with a lot of sort of like wanting to create a cooperative that would succeed in the world they wish existed. Uh, You know, I think cooperatives are inherently optimistic endeavors, um, this notion that um, we can overcome challenges or meet some common need if we if we work together. And so as a developer who is supposed to be grounded in, you know, business best practices and understanding the market and making sure that the, the business side is sound, as well as sort of the democratic association side of a cooperative, um, striking that right balance between um, helping people achieve their, their collective dream um, in a way that is going to be sustainable for that business long term. And that can be can be hard. I've definitely fell in love with a couple of projects and you just really, really get invested emotionally in them. Um, but it's fun work. It's really, I, I you know, I mentioned earlier um, that when I was at the World Watch Institute, the research organization, I was really craving more sort of hands-on applied work. And I certainly found that in co-op development. You know, some of the projects I worked on uh, one was a grocery store in a town of 700 people, and the grocery store had been family-owned for you know 90 plus years. And the the family was is trying to exit the grocery store, and um, they you know that would have left that very small town without that village without a grocery store. And so, you know, I was driving out to Plain, Wisconsin, every couple of weeks for board meetings and sitting with people in this community and trying to figure out you know what is it going to take to keep um, keep a grocery store on your main street and that's, you know, it's really satisfying work. And um, and it works. The, the grocery store stayed. I think it's actually closing this year. It hasn't. Um, but, it, you know, it extended the life of that grocery store for an extra six or seven years in that community um, so that the elderly residents who couldn't drive anymore still had access to fresh produce and groceries. So, yeah, it's been fun work. It's kind of sad that it's closing, but I get it. I know that was I was that was kind of a bummer. I mentioned that example, and then I was like, "And actually, I think it's closing." But I mean, that's a it's also a good a good and hard lesson about cooperatives is that if members aren't using them, you know, they exist to serve a member need, and if members don't patronize their co-ops, you know, that's a that's a, ch- a real challenge um, because they are they are businesses. So, yep. But it's 
good work. I still, I'm not doing it as much of it in my new role, um, but I still really love it and get, get to work on a handful of projects now and then. So I want to go all the way back to your first one that you did at, in your master's thesis. What was the name of that? I missed it with the two times you said it. It's called the Fifth Season Cooperative. Fifth. Fifth. Yep. So it's actually a multi-stakeholder cooperative, which um, little did I know at the time, I was like cutting my co-op development teeth on one of the most sort of like complex uh, models that I have worked on since. Um, so the cooperative, you know, it really emerged from um, this conversation that was happening in Vernon County and surrounding counties. And Vernon County has a huge number of cooperatives per capita, a huge number of organic farms per capita. I think the county might have the the highest number of organic farms per capita of any county um, in the country. So it's um, not surprising that 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 conversation emerged there. And so there were farmers who wanted access to these institutional markets, and there were um, institutions, uh, namely a hospital system and a couple of schools, that really wanted access to local produce, but they just didn't, you know, quite know how to make that connection, didn't have time to actually interface with, you know, 50 different farmers. So... The conversation began with all of these different stakeholders at the table. So there were buyers and there were farmers and there were farmer groups like Organic Valley, which is also a cooperative. And um, there were processors like a meat processor and a dairy, um, a, a cheese cooperative. And so they all started at the table. Um, and as the conversation evolved, um, it really made sense to continue to include all of those stakeholders and that if this if this really difficult challenge of um, connecting institutions and, and local institutions and, and farmers Courtney, was going to be. I'm hmm? sorry, we have to take our first break. We OK, take a quick here. We'll come back and I want to talk to you about conversions and existing co-ops and cooperative start over startups and particularly this multi-stakeholder. We'll be right back. Please don't okay. touch that now. is power. This is why WL makes a great, great partner because the National Co-op Bank and our group decided we wanted to give you information about co-ops. It's not the information that's power. It's when you take that information and put it to use. When you take that information and you strike the match of, of action, that action is where you get the power from. And so we have Courtney on the line with us today. Courtney Berner is executive director of the Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives, and she's been talking about putting action <laughs> in her master's thesis in the Fifth Service Cooperative, and we're going to talk about the other action that the University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperative does. So you want to finish talking about you? You're talking about the multi Yeah, you can tell I get excited. I'm just like, right, I can talk right through your commercial break. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll just I'll wrap that up. They decided to keep all those stakeholders at the table in order to be able to have everyone at the same table to, you know, have some of those difficult conversations that were necessary um, to advance their goals of um, connecting farmers and institutions. So I think there's six, six or seven membership classes, um, producers, processors, producer groups, buyers, workers, community supporters. 
So um, they really, really included everyone in the co-op as an actual voting member, um, which, you know, has certainly been challenging and and makes it more complex, but I think has also um, enabled the group to get over some hurdles over the years that they they wouldn't have been able to if they hadn't had all those um, different stakeholders at the table. So. So very yep. challenging. That one's still around. <laughs> and I assume very rewarding. And the end, it was. That you get this fresh farm, fresh produce to the institutions going through processing and, and everything that one has to do to get that food there. So it sounds yep. like it's great. It yeah. Works. Yep. It was a fun it was a fun project and a challenging one to, to again, cut my teeth on. So. Okay, so you talked about uh, existing co-ops. So you support existing cooperatives that are already in Wisconsin and maybe in the nation, perhaps in the world. What kinds of things do you do to support existing co-ops? We do, um, like I said, we, you know, research, outreach, and education. And so I think um, we do two large conferences every year. One is our Farmer Cooperative Conference. Um, the 23rd Annual Farmer Cooperative Conference will be in 2020. Um, Ann Reynolds actually helped start that conference when she was here at the center. And that's that's a conference for, um, for uh, people who are connected to uh, farmer cooperatives from around the country and, you know, look at a range of issues from trade policy to um, governance best practices. We usually bring in um, a guest from an international cooperative to, to lend sort of that international perspective on how um, how you know things are done at their cooperative. And then we also organize CCMA, which is the largest national gathering of grocery cooperatives in the country. Um, and, and we've actually been organizing that since 2017. It's been around for, I think, over 60 years. And, and Anne Hoyt, who you might have um, interviewed at some point, mm-hmm. um, when she retired, the, the conference sort of left and went to NCBA for a couple years and then came back to us and they asked us to take it over in 2017. And so, um, you know, those are two really, I feel like those two conferences are um, illustrative of um, sort of the diversity of uh, our audience as a center that um, works with all types of co-ops. So you have, you know, natural foods, grocery cooperatives, and you have sort of agribusiness cooperatives. And we're, um, you know, striving to develop content and um, create uh, events and conferences that are really um, valuable to those those very different audiences. So we also do some um, board training. We have a, develop, a director training program here in Wisconsin. We do two forums a year um, and some other sort of events. And then on the research side, you know, like I said, we, we work with all types of cooperatives. And so that's in many ways one of the things that sets us apart, but it's also one of our biggest challenges. So this tension that we face as an organization is how do we provide value to such a diverse audience? You know, it's probably a similar challenge to what you know, I imagine NCBA faces. So it's fun in mm-hmm. that we get to work with a diverse audience and make connections between sectors, but it's also hard. And so we really look for research questions that um, that span a variety of sectors. So our center is probably one of the things we're probably best known for nationally is a map <laughs> that we uh, released in 2009 of uh, U.S. cooperatives based on a, a census that we completed, I believe, in 2006. Um and sort of ever since then, our, our faculty director has been on a quest to measure the U.S. cooperative economy using existing data. Um, and he was part of a team that worked on getting the co-op question added to the most recent economic census. Um, so, um, 
And then right now I'm working on actually raising some funds to launch uh, a national longitudinal um, survey on cooperative governance. So there's no data collected right now across cooperatives on what's happening in the boardroom, um, the relationship between the board and the manager and sort of like, so um, we're, we're hoping to, to raise some money to be able to actually collect data on that and then, um, you know, share that data back with a cooperative community so we can, you know, be benchmarking our, our governance practices um, within the cooperative sector and then, you know, outside of the cooperative sector as well. So I have you you are right. You love this and you get excited and you go. Now I'm trying to break <laughs> some of this down. So th- this particular this board and management and raising money to do this study. How I got involved with co-ops, Courtney, is I started managing them. I knew nothing about it in my formal education mm-hmm. and a couple of master's degrees. So I started managing housing co-ops and I have it as a manager of housing co-ops. That's what's in most, what is most important for success of a housing co-op is good governance. Mm-hmm. That that board and setting policies and <laughs> holding, uh, hiring a manager and then uh, holding that management accountable is extremely important. If you don't mm-hmm. have it, I find that it's very, very difficult to have a successful housing co-op. And I'd say mm-hmm. it's the same thing throughout. So that sort of tension and dynamic is extremely important to the success of a co-op is what I have found. So I'd be quite interested in this longitudinal governance piece that you're talking about. How much money are you trying to raise? Well, we're, we're, I'm, I'm actually writing a, a little proposal right now. I, I, a couple hundred thousand, you know, between one and two hundred thousand to um, really get it off the ground. It would be survey, survey based um, and possibly some interviews. And then I'll need to raise money sort of in an ongoing basis to continue the study. So our thinking right now is every that we would um, do a survey every two years. That thinking could change as we sort of get into the project. But um, yeah, I think a couple hundred thousand to um, get for that first two years to really establish the foundation. I think when you're doing a longitudinal study, that first year is really important <laughs> and asking the right questions and, and getting your list right. And um, and so part of that process will also be um, continuing to engage leaders from the co-op community in the in the conversation about what what data can we collect that's valuable to you. Um, I've certainly already engaged in a lot of those conversations, sort of preliminary conversations to get buy-in on the project. That was my first step was, you know, talking to Doug at NCBA and talking to CE at um, National Cooperative Grocers and, and, and other sort of apex organizations within the co-op community and saying, would this data be valuable to you? Um, because if it's not, this is going to be a hard project. And if it's mm-hmm. not going to be valuable to you, I don't want to do it. I have plenty of other things to do. But, you know, everyone I talked to said, yeah, I'm interested. I think this could really be valuable to our members, to um, to our cooperatives um, and to us as we work with cooperatives. So we'll see. Um, stay tuned. <laughs> so if my hypothesis is right, I, I think that getting boards to understand the power they have in terms of mm-hmm. whether or not this co-op is going to be successful or not. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's a volunteer position. And so therefore, at least in credit unions and housing co-ops, I assume farm co-ops and the rest of them are volunteer positions. So, but it really has to be extremely important to somebody if you take that job. If you, if you run for the board, you have to really know that the, the association, the business 
is really dependent on what kind of good decisions you make. Yeah. Well, and that's actually uh, one of the questions we're interested in, interested in exploring is um, board compensation because there are certain sectors where you're correct. Um, it's all volunteer. There's no compensation. And there are other sectors where um, directors are compensated and in some cases compensated quite a lot. And so even understanding the differences you know, within electric co-ops or within farmer co-ops and then the differences between compensation in, you know, say electric co-ops and credit unions or grocery cooperatives. So that's actually one of the things we're interested in exploring because there is some some diversity of practice there. I would like to know that one too. I didn't even know about the ones that are compensated. So re- real quickly, we've talked about several co-ops. I'm going to talk about the different types of co-ops before we take our next break. Okay. So there are basically four types of co-ops, and you can tell me if I've got it right or not. So All right. I, I have, and, and it depends on who owns and controls that business. So if it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op, and therefore that could be any business you could think of if mm-hmm. it's owned and controlled by the employees. So. Yep. That's one group. And then the second group, if the business is owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, is called a consumer co-op. And then you have housing co-ops, credit union, a lot of food co-ops. Food co-ops could either be a worker co-op or a consumer co-op or both. So you have all of these different REI. There's a health clinic in Madison that's owned by the group, group health cooperative. Yep, I'm a member. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, so the, th- the third one is a purchasing co-op. If the, the, the co-op who starts a business to help buy the kinds of things they need, and farmers does, have done that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists do it. There's a group in D.C. called uh, Consumer Purchasing Alliance, and they were formed for churches and nonprofits and so forth. That's called mm-hmm. a purchasing co-op. And the fourth one is uh, what I call marketing co-ops. Sometimes they're called producer co-ops. And those like Cabbage Creamery, Lando Lakes, Ocean Spray. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an uh, artist group in Pittsburgh called Ujama, which uh, black ladies have gotten together to do their art and have a store. And that's called marketing co-ops. And we'll be right back after the next to talk about the different kinds of things you're doing. Particularly, I want to get to conversions. We'll be okay. right back. Great. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and we have Miss Courtney Werner, who is executive director of Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives. <laughs> and she has a lot of energy. She's enthusiastic, and she likes to talk about co-ops, which is one of my favorite subjects. And we've talked about the existing co-ops and the kinds of work that you do and research and assisting co-ops and different kinds of ways. So before we get to conversions, I want to talk cooperative development because you said something that you don't go out and say, oh, we need a co-op in blah section. And so we're going to develop one. You wait till people come to you and say, we want to start a co-op in blah, any of those four areas that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And then you help them. Is that kind of what the way you do development? Yeah, I think you can kind of, this is, you know, like any generalization, a little dangerous, but you can kind of break co-op development into two two different categories. There's sort of incubated cooperative development and more grassroots co-op development. So, um, and we, I would put our work in the more grassroots. So a group of people comes together with an idea um, and then they find us and reach out to us and say, hey, we're interested in exploring the co-op model or starting a hemp co-op or a 
you know, a childcare co-op, can you help us? And that's that's generally our approach. Um, there are groups out there that incubate cooperatives. So Prospera out in um, Oakland, California, is a great example of a um, a nonprofit that um, starts cooperatives for Latina immigrants and helps them establish worker-owned cooperatives. And so, you know, and they incubate those cooperatives and there's a whole process of what they, they sort of do the business planning and their their process has evolved over time. But um, then they, you know, recruit people to be part of that business and, and involve them in some of the development. But it's a really different approach. And um, both are, are interesting and good approaches, but we, we tend to fall into that more grassroots, you know, responding to requests from, and part of that's our capacity and part of it's, you know, our, our sort of being within the university. So, yep. So what was the name of that group in Oakland? I want to look them up. Oh, my gosh. Prospera. Hmm. Prospera. Yep. And there are others. There's one in New York City, um, the Center for Family Life or Center for Family Living. Um, they have helped start sort of incubate cooperatives in uh, in New York. And so, yeah, there are different groups out there that have um, and they tend to have, you know, a certain group that they're, you know, a certain demographic that they're working with or a certain type of cooperative that they um maybe a sector that they're working in. Um, Prospera really focused on green cleaning cooperatives initially. They've branched out of, of just that type of cooperative, but um, so it took more of like a sector approach. So I guess the group in Oakland probably worked with the Center for Co- the California Center for Cooperative Development, CCCD. Yeah, I'm not sure how much they work with them, but yeah, I'm sure they're connected up. So I always want to give a shout out to Kim Kuntz. And Kim Kuntz, yep. Yeah. Great work out there. Okay, so so that's your cooperative development. So how do you work with the conversions, civil, the, they talk about all of these baby boomers, which is my age group, mm-hmm. have businesses. I think 75% of them do not have a secession plan, and those businesses may close up or be bought out by a larger corporate, and these workers in this particular community may lose their job and this community may lose a business and all of that income and taxes and so forth. So Mm -hmm. how do you help with this conversion? Yeah, so we've been working on conversions for the last, gosh, five years probably. Um, We're one of the founding members of Workers to Owners, which is a a coalition or sort of I don't know, collaboration of groups around the country that are interested in advancing uh, employee ownership as a business succession strategy. And so we've provided assistance to a handful of conversions, um, some of which have actually converted and some of which have stalled out and not converted, which is, you know, that's part of the process. Um, One of our probably most successful projects was Northwind Solar which is a a solar um, design and installation firm in central Wisconsin um, that actually was owned by, um, had four owners in an LLC. Um, They all wanted to stay within the business, but they wanted to convert it to a cooperative, um, both for the longevity of the business and because they were attracted to the worker co-op model. And um, so they have actually seen um, tremendous success since the conversion. Um, They've they've grown their business. They've grown their membership. Um, They're now expanding and, and building sort of their forever home. But a lot of our work has really been in pipeline development, getting the word out there. So connecting with um, small, small business development centers, connecting with economic development professionals, um, just to just so that, you know, with accountants and attorneys, just so that the people that are out there talking to business owners and having conversations about what's next, that, that 
they may be, you know, planting a seed that selling to their employees as a cooperative might be an option. So we've done several events um, targeted to economic development professionals and business owners. And we're actually um, just right now about to release our schedule. We're doing a road show in Wisconsin and Minnesota with a couple of partners. Um, we're partnering with University of Minnesota Extension and then Cooperative Development Services um, in Minnesota and Wisconsin um, to do a road show in rural communities along the Wisconsin-Minnesota border. And we're doing like eight stops in one week um, and just doing these 90-minute sessions on, you know, the sort of opportunity um, to use employee ownership, particularly worker cooperatives, as a business succession and retention strategy. So we continue to try to spread the word and um, and then, you know, do our best to support the projects that come, come through the door and, and connect them with other technical assistance providers um, when necessary. But, eight yeah, it's, it's important work. Eight shows in five days? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's... Um, we're we're hitting we're hitting the road. We figure we might as well make the make the most of our miles. So Okay. So that would be the conversion side of it. And that seems to have a lot of potential for co op development, particularly mm-hmm. worker cooperative. Um now are you working with the Federation uh, US Federation of Worker Co ops? Is that an organization in doing this? certainly connected with them. Um, we're not working with them on this project. Um, we have been part of the um, Workers to Owners collaboration that the Democracy at Work Institute, which has, you know, sort of the sister organization of the Federation, um, so Melissa Hoover's organization. We've certainly worked with them on some of like the early strategizing around what, you know, what what is it going to take to actually reach scale in terms of conversions Um and what are some best practices in supporting those conversions? So, yeah, there's a really there's a really great group of group of organizations that's emerged. Um, we work with ICA Group in the Northeast. We work um, we've worked with Project Equity, which is also out in California, um, with DAWI. Um, there are many many others that are doing really excellent work around the country on this and trying to raise the profile um, of worker co-ops and sort of the the promise both as a as a business model but also as a succession strategy. So, okay, so. You all are doing a lot. It sounds like you really don't like what you do. And you probably have a <laughs> real problem getting up and riding your bike into work, trying to worry about, okay, what do you have to do and what your boss is going to make you do today? So is that, have I described your work life the way it is? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to. I, I, have a, I have a three-year-old who is up sick most of last night. So, oh. um, I, yeah, so there's, you know, it's not all roses and rainbows. So, um, you know, but no, I feel... I do. I feel really fortunate to have found cooperatives and to have landed in this place professionally. You know, I I think in this sort of very divisive political time when things feel very polarized, um, cooperatives are a, a big tent and I get to interact. They give me a language um, and a reason to interact with people from across the political spectrum. And I think that's really one of the powers of cooperatives uh, is that, you know, it's a model that anyone can use um, and it's a model that can bring people together sort of irrespective of their, I mean, there may be, you know, ideological differences in other areas. Um, so, yeah, I feel really lucky. I, I'm not going to lie. You know, there are days that I, like anyone, don't want to come to work, but I feel pretty, pretty fortunate. To, uh, and we have a great, great team here, too, which makes makes the work fun. OK, so let me just ask you, do you like what you do? Yes. <laughs> OK. <laughs> said a I lot do. of words. And we've been on this show a little over six years now. 
And I ask that question most interviews, and I've never had any say, oh, no, I don't like what I do. Oh, I just put up with it. It's uh, quite, quite rewarding. And wh- why do you like it then? What makes it rewarding, this, this sort of career in this cooperative world? Hmm. I think, you know, what I just mentioned is that this big tent and this ability to work across different groups of people and, and really see the power that the cooperative model has in different people's lives, you know, whether you're a home care worker um, that's, you know, seeking better wages and better working conditions or a farmer that um, needs, you know, better prices for your milk. You know, I <laughs> I don't get bored. You know, there's a uh, we, we do a lot. And so... Um, there's a, there's a diverse range of things to be interested in. I also think, you know, one of the things I really noticed when I um, took the cooperatives class um, and started going to conferences, that as a younger person, I was really welcomed into the cooperative community. Um, it really feels like a community. And so now when I go to like the Co-op Impact Conference in D.C., it's sort of like a little family reunion. Um, and that just there's a there's a spirit of cooperation. There's certainly some, comp- you know, competition out there, too. But there's really a spirit of cooperation in um, in this community. And it feels uh, like a, a meaningful movement to be a part of. But it's also really I'm a I'm a super pragmatic person. And so it feels it also feels grounded. It's a model that's tested. Um, it's not pie in the sky. It's something that, you know, the the, the evidence um, of the power of cooperatives is all around us. And so um, it, it feels visionary and exciting and also really grounded. So, yeah. So. I get that you really like what you do. It's not boring. You wake up in the morning, you have challenges. And what I really heard is that you are helping people, whether Mm -hmm. it's everyday people um, trying to get a job and raise their families and have enough income to do that, or whether it's businesses like farmers or other businesses Mm -hmm. that you can really help them. And farming is minimize the risk and get a better return. On mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. Exactly. So you, you can see the the fruits of your labor in helping people in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's and, and that is that's is wonderful. And you basically talk about talked about without saying them the cooperative principles, uh, values and principles, and volunteer and open membership, which is mean is open for everybody and anybody. It doesn't make any difference about uh, your religion or your race or your uh, politics or anything else. Gender, it just doesn't matter. Democratic member control, one member, one vote. The third one is member economic participation. You can put some money in, and if there's a profit, you can get some money out. And you have the chance to say, because of the fourth principle, autonomy and independence, you say what happens to that profit, how much of it goes into the members' pockets and how much goes in the community and how much stays in the business. And then there's education, training, and information, and that's a big piece of what you all do. It's the fifth principle of cooperatives. Mm -hmm. And there's cooperation among cooperatives, and this is what this family environment that you talked about, which I love. And there's less competition here than I found when I would go to Mm capitalistic-type conferences. You sort of Mm -hmm. hold on to what you have. And then there's a concern for the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a huge part of it. And that's why sometimes people would put like one third of their profits back into the community and solving community problems. And I really like the ethical values of honesty, openness, mm-hmm. 
social responsibility and caring for others or caring for one another. And I really wish that was in Washington and every state capital. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Honesty and openness by itself would be wonderful, uh, let alone caring for each other, which is why I think there are there ought to be politicians. But anyway, we're going to go to our final break. Okay. And when we come back, if you could just think about it over the break and come back and tell us some more examples of companies you've worked with to do conversions or do startup or people you've helped in your training and so forth, some real live examples I'd, in our final piece. I'd really appreciate it. Great. Okay. We'll be right back. Cooperative Bank is been has been sponsoring this program since we got started, and we are only going to do it one month, Courtney. We were only going to do it one month, the month of October, six and a half years ago almost now. And the National Co-op Bank has been with us, and their mission is to provide financial services to co-ops and their members, particularly in low-income communities. And I find mm-hmm. that it, it got started in the eighties. And Chuck Snyder and group do a wonderful job. And as a matter of fact, on this show, some people call them angels to work at people. Okay. I think there was Roberta McDonald from Cabot Creamery that said that. So mm. let's talk about some examples of different kinds of businesses you've helped to start up or develop and convert. Sure. So um, one of the projects that we've been fortunate to be involved with is the Madison Cooperative Development Coalition. Um, so you might have heard that after New York's big announcement about funding worker co-op development, our mayor, who's no longer a mayor, but Paul Soglin, um said, wait a second, Madison's co-op, worker co-op central. We don't we don't want to be outdone by New York City. Uh, so he made a very ambitious um a very ambitious commitment of, I think, $5 million over five years or something. Um, I think it was $1 million a year for five years. Yep, $1 million a year for five years, yep. So he, uh, <laughs> um, which then was ended up, you know, once it had moved through the, the process, ended up being $600,000 uh, per year for five years to support the development of worker cooperatives in the city of Madison um, with a particular emphasis on um, uh, communities of color, um, low-income communities, communities that maybe had been traditionally kept out of the workforce. Um, and so we, our center, and Reynolds in particular, was really involved with getting that set up, and um, I've been involved as well. And so we're, we're part of that Madison Co-op Development Coalition, and actually the, the Co-op Development Specialist who um, starts helps start co-ops is um, housed here at the center. Charity Schmidt. Um, and uh, so we've been able, that's been a really, um, we most of our co-op development funding was really for rural communities. So this is, I think, the first time we had funding to do co-op development in an urban environment explicitly. And so um, one of the cooperatives that um, has emerged from uh, that project is called Soaring Independent. 
um, which is a black woman-owned home care cooperative here in Madison um, that's really striving to create um, living wage, dignified jobs in the home care industry here in Madison. And um, they've um, so that's that's been a really really satisfying project. Um, uh, meeting a lot, meeting the need for jobs and also meeting the need for home care services, um, which if I imagine you've had someone on the show talking about home care, it's a pretty hot topic in the co-op space right now. Um, so that's one project that's emerged. We've also been supporting um, a project called Roots for Change, which is um, a, a sort of Latina immigrant um, community health cooperative. So many of them are becoming doulas and providing community health services within their community um, to improve um, maternal outcomes. Um, so that's been another really satisfying project to work on. Um, we've been connected with them for a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the, the MCDC, the Madison, um, the, that municipal funding has been really a game changer for our ability and our ability to deliver um, more technical assistance to, um, and to and to be a little more pre- proactive about um, drumming up the word about worker co-ops here in Madison and doing some um, programming on bringing people who might be interested in starting a business but don't know about co-ops into the co-op fold. So... I think is the up and coming conference going to be in Madison this year? It is. I'm actually meeting with Deb Troca this afternoon. She's she's in Madison right now. Um, so I'm I'm I will see her at 3 p.m. So yep, it's that this will be the first year in Madison. Well, tell Deb I said hello, and I'm planning to be there at the up and coming. Oh, good. Well, I'll see you there. And I think the tour is on March the 5th, and the conference ends on the 6th and the 7th. I believe so. And this is this is up and coming food co-ops. Mm-hmm. And I've had the f- folks from Flint, Michigan, are starting a food co-op uh, in Detroit uh, on the show at different times. And so I met a lot of people. I went last year, and looking mm-hmm. forward to going again. No oh, good. Year. Well, yeah, I'll be there. No, it's a really that's a fun conference. There's a lot of energy in the grocery co-op startup community. And they, they're doing tours on the 5th, and we will do our show live from Madison. And I'm wanting to get to your health clinic. I really want to see that. So, to GHC? Yes. Yes. Well, let me know. I their, their CEO is on our advisory committee, so happy to connect you up with him. Okay. And Reynolds, we had her on talking about that, and I'm very excited about that particular consumer co-op. The patients own it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, that's the up and coming. So that's the kinds of things you're doing for. So what, let's talk about conversion. So give us some examples of conversion. Some of the examples of conversion. So I mentioned the Northwind Solar. So um, we're working on a couple projects right now, and I think this is a testament to, and I can't name them because they're still in the process, but a testament to the sort of the broad application of the worker co-op model. So um, one of the projects we're working on is a, a small manufacturing firm way up in northern Wisconsin. We're about to drive there next week. The owner is looking to exit, and there's a small group of um and it's a, a subset of a, a larger manufacturing company, and they're going to take part of it. Um, I think there's about seven or eight of them. Um, so they're working on that. So rural manufacturing. And then we're also working with you, a project. Mm-hmm. Before you pass the manufacturing piece, I've gone to the Cincinnati Union Cooperative Initiative, uh, I think three out of the last four times they've had it. And I really got engrossed in this manufacturing. The number of different manufacturing companies are that are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and how many of them are owned by uh, silver folks, silver hair people. <laughs> 
And a lot of them will go just close doors. And so this mm-hmm. seems to be a great model f- to help the the family of the the person that owns it to to get money, help the employees to keep their jobs and help the community keep those jobs in that community, which will bring um, or keep the tax base in the community. So it seems to be win, 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 win all the way around. And there's See, I never thought about manufacturing, like manufacturing candy as a manufacturing consumer. Mm-hmm. I always speak about Detroit and cars. And cars, yeah. There's <laughs> so many different manufacturing mm-hmm. companies out there, and I, I did know the number. Uh, it's a huge number and a huge number of manufacturing jobs that go unfilled every year. So that would be great. And there's people, I know there's a group in Ch- Chicago that's been working on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay, yep. that's one you're working on. Great. And well, and even food manufacturing, I mean, in the upper, you know, in Wisconsin with all of our dairy and agriculture, you know, even food processing is really a type of manufacturing. And we've seen some conversions, you know, real pickles out east um, is a conversion that took place in that sort of food manufacturing space. So, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of potential. Um, the urban a conversion that we're working on right now is, is an, an ad agency. So very different from... Um, from light manufacturing, um, but you know, it's again a small independent um, ad agency that that works with um, a lot of nonprofits and sort of values-based businesses. Um, and the, again, the owner is looking to exit, and so we're trying to support that team, um, those those staff in in buying the business. And um, one that we completed several years ago was Four Star Video Heaven, <laughs> which is a, a well-known uh, video store in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I think Dan Savage. If you know Dan Savage, um, used to work there a lot before he had his um, his uh, advice column and other things. And so we uh, we actually were approached by the employees. They said, you know, the 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 woman who owns us, she wants to exit. She's talking about just liquidating the. Um, our inventory, yeah. you know, help us. How do we buy it? And so um, sometimes you get approached not by the business owner, but by the employees. Um, so that's another another um, via, or sort of venue for ending, you know, for supporting a conversion. And, and that, that kept that business around. I think it's um, still on State Street. I, it might have it might have moved recently. But yeah, so. Those are just some examples, you know, a little video store, manufacturing, ad agency. Um, oh, we're looking range. at opportunities for home yeah. care cooperative conversions potentially, but we haven't worked on any yet. So The whole range of employees, so an employee, a worker co-ops could be anything. Have anything. You, have you worked with Rock USA at all in converting what, what I used to call uh, trailer parks, now mobile home parks, that the, the people in that park can buy their land? Converted from a, a individual owning it to the people there owning it. Um, we have not we have not supported any rock deals, but um, there is there's an organization in Minnesota that um, has done a couple of rock de- a couple of uh, manufactured housing development um, conversions here in Wisconsin, and um, so yeah, we, we're we're definitely familiar with the work. No, Paul Bradley's work, but we haven't um, we're not we're not doing any of those. We're not a rock affiliate. So. Oh, well, rock on. Courtney, we got a minute or so left for you to tell us. It, what would you like to leave people with? What's the message? Well, I think one of the exciting things that I'm doing in my new role is teaching. I actually get to teach the class now that I took, um, ah. you know, 10 years ago, which uh, is really satisfying because it so clearly altered the course of my um, profession, my work. And so 
young people are really interested. Young, I'm, I consider myself young. The people too. are really interested in the co-op model, and um, or they're really interested in alternative ways of organizing business, and they may not always associate co-ops with that. And so, um, one of the exciting things that I get to do is is teach a class here at UW to undergrads and help them get excited about co-ops. Most of them don't get as excited as I did, but I, I you know. Many have said this before, but I think our sort of challenge as a cooperative community is um, is helping people understand the model and helping people get connected to cooperatives and sort of see the power of that model. So we're just trying to do that in a lot of different areas. One of them is an undergraduate class and uh, connecting with other cooperators here in Madison. So I really appreciate um, the opportunity to be on the show and talk a little bit about our work. Thank you for being on, and that's a wrap for today. Uh, We'll be back next Thursday. Courtney, thank you, and keep up the great work. Everybody out there, live cooperatively, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Bye. Your news talk station.